0: I'm going to be speaking of that on the sin of doubting. The sin of doubting. Hebrews, the eleventh chapter, beginning with the first verse. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. By the way, it's not what. What do we believe? Or do we believe? It's whom do we believe? We should put that. Whom do we believe? Whom do we doubt? For by it, the elders obtained a good report. They got a good report card, the past, in other words. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By the way, the basis of all spiritual truth is in that verse. The basis of all spiritual truth is the first four words. Through faith, we understand. That's the basis of all spiritual truth. Through faith, we understand. If we don't have faith, we won't understand. we say that again. If you don't have faith, you won't understand. How do we get faith? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. As we hear the word of God, hide the word of God down in our heart. faith begins to grow in us. God said it. I believe it. I believe it. And then faith rises up and begins to claim it. Through faith we understand that the world were framed by the word of God, so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. Everything that we see was made of something we couldn't see. By faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous. God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. By his offering, his faith offering, he still speaking. We want to know who is a child of faith, Abel. By faith, God told him to offer this sacrifice and be forgiven. By faith, he did it. And the word of God says he's still speaking to us today. You want to know how to have favor with God? Operate by faith and obedience to God's word. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony that he pleased God. But without faith, it's very difficult to please him. Can you underscore that word? It's what? All right, let me ask you something. If faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, and without faith it's impossible to please God, how are you and I going to please God if we don't have the word of God in our hearts? Well, how' will just go along right on your coattail preacher? you'll fall for sure. Therefore, without faith it's impossible, impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must doubt that he is Oh must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently what? Seek him. Now first of all, let me ask you, do you want to be a man or woman of faith? If you do, the word of God makes it very clear that the only way you're going to do it is hide the word of God in your heart and seek God. God is not going to come down and rattle your cage and slam you up against the wall so you're going to know whether you like it or not. He says, if you draw nigh to me, I'll draw nigh to you. If you hide The word of God in your heart, you will not sin against him. It will become a lamp under your feet and a light under your path. When situations of life come up, your little spiritual rolodex will come around and a promise of God will come out or a command of God will come out and establish you in knowing what to do. The scripture says you're to seek after wisdom as you would for silver or gold. And Jesus Christ has made unto us wisdom and he said, if you want to know about me, search the scriptures because it's they that talk of me. You see, there's just no way to get around it. Every road, like they said, all roads lead to Rome in the Roman Empire. Every road in the Word of God that talks about success, being able to accomplish anything, being able to walk in peace and joy, and, and all, this, all of them lead back to the fact you have to know the Word of God in your heart, you have to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's impossible to please God. If we want to be pleased with God, it's impossible to please Him without faith. And it's impossible to have faith without the Word down in the heart. That sixth verse again. Without faith it's impossible to please. him. so he that to God must believe that he is. A lot of people believe that he is. In fact, Satan believes that he is. Satan believes that God is. He knows he is. He's spiritual. He's a spirit. God's in the spirit realm. God is a spirit. May the worshiper must worship him in the spirit of truth. Satan is in the same realm of the spirit, spirit realm that, that God himself is. He knows that there's a God. In fact, the scripture says that he trembles. So it isn't just believing that he is. A lot of people say, well, I'm a Christian because I believe that God is. No, 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 no. A lot of other people believe that God is who are not Christians. But you're not only to believe that he is, but that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Seek ye the Lord, while he may be found. Call ye upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the unrighteous man is possible, and return unto the Lord. You will have mercy upon him, and to our God, who will abundantly pardon the scripture says. Uh, There's just a couple of things that I noticed as I read the scriptures that Jesus got very upset over while he was there on earth. Jesus got upset over and over again over lack of faith. The other thing was changing the word of God over to men's traditions. He got upset with the Pharisees. He says you are very careful and tidy your mint and cumin and everything but you leave the weightier matters to the side. He says you're like white and sepulchers on the outside you're nice and white but on the inside you're full of dead men's bones. He went on and on and on and explained to me. he says, you have set aside the commandments of God for your own man-made ideas. He says, your judgment is going to be great for it. And over and over again, he came after the Pharisees. He says, the Word of God says, you're supposed to honor your father and your mother. What do you do? You tell them that they give a gift to the temple and say, this is a gift. Then you can forsake your parents and let them go because God will forgive you. And it was a selfish rabbis and leaders of Israel that wanted the gifts to come to them instead of going to the parish. He says, you have just... Torn away the commandments of God for your own misguided ideas. You're going to be judged for it. These two things really upset the Lord. And doubt was one of the great things. Look at Matthew, the eighth chapter. Let's look at a few times concerning where Jesus was upset with the disciples and find out the basic source of it here. Matthew, the eighth chapter, beginning with verse 23. Now, the Lord had just finished healing the centurion's son. Remember... The Roman centurion came to Jesus and said, My son is ill, and he, he said, Well, I'll go with you. He said, You don't need to go. He says, You're a man of authority. Just speak the word, and it will be done. And he, my son will be healed. And Jesus said, Verily I say, I have not found so great faith, no, not in all Israel. And in verse 13, Jesus said unto the centurion, Go thy way, and as thou hast believed, so be it done unto thee, and his servant was healed in the selfsame hour. Now they had just seen a mighty experience of faith, and the end result of that faith. And here in a few verses down, verse 23, And when he was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. And, behold, there arose a great tempest in the sea, insomuch that the ship was covered with the waves. But he was asleep, and his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of... Interesting? In verse 10 he says, I have not found so great faith, no, not in all of Israel... That should have been a challenge to the disciples. Just come down another 13 verses. And he says, Oh, ye of little faith. Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea. And there was a great calm. O oh, ye of little faith. Jesus got upset with the disciples because they had such little faith. Look over in Matthew the 14th chapter. Again, an experience with the ship. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. Now, we're only talking about a short time after this experience happened. When Jesus rebuked the winds and there was a great calm. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray and when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea tossed with waves for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, at 4 a.m. in other words, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. Straightway Jesus spake unto them, Be of good cheer in his eye, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, did he come unto thee on the water? And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind voiceless, he was what? Afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of great faith, wherefore didst thou, there he is again. I don't know about you, but I don't know that I would have even stepped out of the boat. If it be you, Lord, didn't he come? And he stepped out on the water and walked on the water and began to sink and then Jesus said, oh, you little faith, little faith." Do you know what that makes me feel like? A wart on a mustard seed. Think about it. He was walking on the water. And Jesus said, Ye have little faith. Wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. By the way, they just fed 5,000 people just before that, too. Just said 5,000 people. And Jesus said, Oh, ye have little faith. Matthew 16, verse 5. When his disciples were come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And Jesus said unto them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have taken no bread. Which, when Jesus perceived, he said unto them, O ye of little faith, Why reason ye among yourselves because ye brought no bread? Do ye not yet understand neither remember the five loaves of the five thousand, how many baskets ye took up? And neither the seven loaves of the four thousand, how many baskets ye took up? Again, he said, I can't believe you guys. I have calmed the storm for you twice. I've fed 5,000. You've seen miracles happen. to centurion son with heals, And yet, you can't believe me for these things. I wonder what Jesus would say to us if he were to appear tonight. What do you think he'd say to you? If this is what he said to his disciples. He said, yes, but the disciples were with him. And they saw all these things. Yes, but you and I have the total thing, the total ministry recorded for us. We get to see the whole thing and what happened in the early church and everything. Luke, the ninth chapter, beginning of verse 37. Here was the case of the disciples not able to do the ministry that the Lord had called them to do. It came to pass that on the next day. When they were come down from the hill, much people met him. Behold, a man of the company cried out, saying, Master, I beseech thee, look upon my son, for he is mine only child. And lo a spirit taketh him, and he suddenly crieth out and appeareth him, and he foameth again, and bruising him hardly departeth from him. And I besought thy disciples to cast him out, and what? They could not. Jesus answering and said, answering, said, O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you and suffer you? Bring thy son hither. And as he was yet a coming. The devil threw him down and tear him, and Jesus rebuked the unclean spirit, and healed the child, and delivered him again to his father. And they were all amazed at the mighty power of God, but while they wondered, everyone at all the things that Jesus did, he said unto his disciples, Let these things sink down into your ears for the Son of Man to be delivered in the hand of man. Jesus said, You faithless and perverse generation. Luke 12, beginning with verse 22. Then he said unto his disciples, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what you shall eat, neither for the body what you shall put on. For life is more than meat, and the body is more than raiment. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which neither have a storehouse nor barn, and God feedeth them. How much more are you better than the fowls? And which of you, with taking thought, can add to a stature one to If ye then be not able to do that thing which is least, why take ye thought for the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow, they twirl not, they spin not, and yet I say unto you that Solomon, in all of his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothed the grass which is today in the field, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O ye of, and seek not ye that what ye shall eat, or what ye shall drink, neither be ye of doubtful mind. For all these things do the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knoweth that you have need of these things, but rather seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you, O ye of little faith. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, O ye of little faith. Quit worrying about what you're going to put on, and what you're going to eat, and where you're going to live. Seek first the kingdom of God and everything else will be taken care of. If you don't do that, you faithless people of little faith, that message, it ought to rattle this generation. So many people today are so concerned, I can't do what God's word says because if I did, I'd starve to death. Then God's a liar. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He said when someone obeys him and walks in obedience to him, they will never be ashamed and he'll never forsake them. Even during the famine, he'll keep them. And then John, the 20th chapter, for the last portion I want you to notice here. You see, all the way through how Jesus got so upset with his own disciples because of their unbelief. John, chapter 20, beginning with the 24th verse. The Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came, and the other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord, but he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace be unto you. Then sent he to Thomas, Reach through thy finger, and behold my hand, and reach through thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not one, faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas is doubting. Now, doubting today is a very common thing amongst God's people. Let me just give you a very simple definition that you can put down in, as far as doubt in relation to, to God is concerned. Doubt in relation to God. Doubt is a hesitation on our part. Believe God and His Word. Doubt is sin, and doubt is a hesitation on our part to believe God and His Word. Let me ask you Why should we, who profess to be believers, ever doubt or hesitate to believe God and His Word? It's an antithesis to what we say we are. It really is. And yet we do it. Paul the Apostle. Didn't doubt God. Remember when he was on the ship and God gave him a revelation when the ship was going to be destroyed because of the storm? In Acts, the 27th chapter, turn with me. Acts 27, beginning with verse 25. Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer for what? I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. What was told to Paul? I believe God. God told me something. When God tells me, I believe it. Look at verse 23 and verse 24. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul, for thou must be brought before Caesar, and, lo, God hath given thee all them that sail with thee. God has given thee all them that sail with thee. Paul said, I believe that. No one's going to be harmed. I believe that. We're going to make it. We're going to get all the way through You know how Satan tried to stop that because Paul said he had to go on to Rome? When they shipwrecked, you remember he was picking up some firewood to throw in the fire and there was a venomous viper that bit him and clung to his hand and everybody says, "Uh uh-huh, he must have been a murderer or some terrible criminal because now justice has gotten him anyway and they stood and watched and waited for Paul to fall over dead when he didn't do it. They all of a sudden said, this man must be a god. Now you see, that's where I believe Mark, the 16th chapter, applies. Not when I walk around in the snake pit, but when I'm trying to serve the Lord doing what I'm supposed to, and something happens like that, if God says I'm going to be in Rome, I don't care if all the serpents in the island bite me, I'm still going to Rome. I wouldn't have wanted to have been somebody that wasn't on that ship that got bitten by that viper. Because God says that Paul and all of them that were on the ship were going to survive. They had to survive. Let's just consider some of the things that Christians doubt in relationship to their Lord. What do you think is one of the first things that Christians begin to doubt? New Christians. Salvation. I wonder who wins if they end up doubting their salvation. You know, it must be God that's coming to try to make them believe that they're not saved, huh? When you stop and think about it, when a person repents of their sins and invites Jesus Christ in their heart, and they ask Jesus to be Lord of their life, and they walk out of there, and they hear this voice saying, You're not a Christian. He didn't forgive you. Who do you think is saying that? I mean, it's got to be the Holy Ghost. But well, if he was, then it's contrary to the Word of God, because the scripture says if we repent, God will forgive us. A lot of people cannot get an assurance of their salvation, and one of, the, of course one of the basic reasons is they try to base their salvation upon their feelings. How many of you know that there's nothing in the Word of God that says you and I are going to be saved by our feelings? I cannot tell you how many times down through the years of my ministry I've said to someone are you saved? Well, yes, I'm saved. How do you know you're saved? Well, I just feel so good. I mean, I've not felt this happy in a long time. I just feel so good. And boy, the red flag goes up in my mind. I said, but what are you going to do if you wake up tomorrow morning with pneumonia, or some other disease, or some sickness where you just can hardly breathe? What if you have asthma tomorrow morning? What are you going to do if you just feel terrible? You've got a throbbing headache? What will you think about your salvation then? What am I trying to do? Shoot them down? No, I'm trying to get their eyes off of their feelings. I think it's wonderful for feelings to come, but don't put your salvation's assurance based upon your feelings. I used to say, even though I had a ring on, I didn't feel married. There was no marriage feeling, but I knew I was married, and I was committed to that marriage, but I didn't feel married. If I was happy or sad, it didn't affect whether I was married or not. Whether I was happy with my marriage or unhappy with my marriage didn't have a thing to do about whether I was married or not. I was married because there came a time when I made a quality decision and a commitment to someone. All right, Satan comes along and says, you didn't really mean it back there. I used to, boy, I'm telling you, I had a terrible time, first couple of years I was saved. he always says, you didn't really get saved back there. I mean, look, look how many times you say, oh, the Lord. Finally, someone said to me, every time he says that, just go back and say, well, if that one didn't work, I'd do it right now in the name of Jesus. I reaffirm the fact that I've given Jesus Christ my life and I claim the blood of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of my sins and I admit that this is sin in my life and I don't want it and I'm going to get victory over it. God's giving me the victory already and I claim I reestablish. I'm driving a new nail. Satan, if that one didn't work, this one did. Work on this one for a while. I had to go through that because of my background and not having a family that could give me the teaching and the assurance of how to get rooted and grounded in the Word of God. But you know, when you and I go from day to day saying, well, I guess I'm not even saved, we're calling God a liar if we did what God told us to do to get saved. You see, it isn't whether there has that we're still, we still sin against God. The key of, to whether we're born again or not is our attitude toward that sin. There was a time when I used to brag to all the buddies of what I got away with. When I became a Christian, when I would get away with something, I'd be miserable inside. That was the difference. The Holy Spirit convicted me of it. And I'd go right back and say, Father, again, you told Peter that he was to forgive 70 times 7 a day. And I'm coming and I don't know why you don't get worn out with me. I don't know why you don't snuff me out sometimes. I fail so many times. But dear God, I thank you that your mercies are from everlasting to everlasting because of that, I come, and in Jesus' name, I ask you to wash me in the precious blood. I acknowledge that, that sin, I acknowledge that, that failure in my life, I acknowledge that that shouldn't be there, and I don't want it to be there. I come into agreement with you, and I ask you to give me victory over that thing. Show me how to have victory every day, Lord. Now, let me tell you something, would an unsaved person be doing that? Well, i see sinned, so I must not be a Christian. You, you recognize that it is sin, and you deal with it as sin, and you tell God you want victory in that thing. What did Paul say? Not as though I've already attained, but I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. That which I would do, I do not. That which I would not do, that I do. Oh, I could identify with Paul and that. Miserable, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me? It has nothing to do with my salvation. Added my attitude towards sin is the evidence of my salvation. If I get to the place I think I don't care what God thinks, I'm going to live and do my own thing. I'm not acknowledging the blood of Jesus and blah, 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 going out way. that. gives some evidence that there's something wrong there. But if I have repented of my sin and made a quality decision to receive Christ, I'm, when I stumble and fall, I acknowledge that the word of God says, acknowledge your sin immediately so that you don't have to be judged for it. The blood of Jesus Christ, God's Son, cleanses from all, A-L-L, all sin. I'll tell you, it's impossible as a born-again Christian to live with unconfessed sin in your heart and be happy. You'll be so miserable you can't stand it. The Holy Spirit is so faithful but you can't have peace. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. If you and I do wrongly, the Holy Spirit's going to convict. That's why David, after he had repented in Psalm 51, would he say, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. You can't have real joy and peace as a Christian if you are willfully going out and sinning and God dealing with you about it, you're going to be just so miserable you can't stand it. And the solution is found there in 1 John 1, 9 for the believer. If we come into agreement with God, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive. And I know some people have said, well, I've done that, Brother Joe, I've done that and I still don't have it. Well, then you need to ask yourself some questions. Is the blood of Jesus sufficient for my sins? Now, if you think it isn't, it is an inverted sense of pride. But your sins are so magnanimous, so unusual, so outstanding, that even the blood of Jesus can't pay for it. Let me ask you something. If the blood of Jesus can't pay for it, who is? What is? Paul the Apostle said he was the cheapest of all sinners. He was the worst of all sinners. So you and I have got to get in line behind him, and he was forgiven. Is the blood of Jesus Christ sufficient? Was Christ's death in my behalf enough to take care of my sin, past, present, and future sin. The Word of God says that He died once for all, for the sins of all mankind, once for all. And yet many Christians go around with doubt and unbelief in their heart. Third question you have to ask is, Jesus Christ strong enough to keep me? Is He strong enough to keep me? Now, if I ask you that question, Does something pop up in your, some truth pop up into your head immediately? Let me just tell you what pops up. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus Christ, the author and the finisher of my faith. God is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that I can ask or think. for he is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be majesty, dominion, power, both now and evermore. What's happening? The word of God wells up in me. Can Jesus Christ keep me? Is he strong enough to keep me? Is anything too difficult for me? Nothing is too difficult for Thee, Lord. With God, all things are possible. And you say, well, I don't know if Jesus is keeping me. Nothing is impossible for God if we'll let him. And I'm saying this for some of you that may have a struggle sometimes. saying, boy, am I really a Christian? Ask those questions. Is the blood of Jesus Christ sufficient? Was Christ's death for me enough in God's sight? Scripture says once for all. And is Jesus strong enough to keep me day under, day by day? Once we've confessed, repented of, and confessed our sins, we have to be able to come to him and say, Now, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. I want the joy of the Lord to be in my heart. when we'll wouldn't stop right there, because we'll get into some other doubts and unbelief that Christians have. See, the devil would just love to keep you in defeat. And discouragement, and despondency. Jesus said, I'm coming that you might have life and have it abundantly. And we need to say, Lord, help me to operate and function in my daily life so that you don't come around saying to me, oh, ye of little faith, Ye faithless and for first generation. And we will be able to agree with what the writer of Hebrews said. <laughs> Believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. But without faith, it's impossible to please God. It's impossible. God, give us the faith. We all have the faith. We have the measure of faith. But what we do with it will make the difference. You see, I don't have any. If you say you don't have faith, then you call God a liar because the scripture says every man has the measure of faith. And you and I start with the measure of faith and begin to cause our faith to grow. How? Again, how do we make our faith grow? Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God, no word of God, no hearing, no hearing, no faith, no faith, no results, just doubt, unbelief, defeat, and get away from it. Search the scriptures. Get the word of God and hide it down in your heart. And then begin to say it. Take the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and come against the enemy with the word of God. When Jesus rebuked Satan in the Bible, I believe he took the word of God and says, It is written. Take that, Satan. When you and I come into defeat, come into discouragement, come into to conflict, come into tribulation, come into testings, we only have one weapon, that's the word of God. And that weapon's not going to do us any good if we don't have any faith in it. Can you imagine going into battle, and you're going to have to tomorrow go over to the battlefield and face the Russians, and you don't have all their modern weaponry, and your sergeant hands you a ping-pong gun, you seen those ping-pong ball guns, you go like pull it back, and go out, goes the ping-pong ball, says, go get them, Tiger! You see yourself going over there and saying, now I wonder if it's going to be the Russian equivalent of an M1 that's going to get me before I hit him with a ping pong ball. You have no faith. you know. But that's just exactly the way a lot of Christians go around trying to win the victory against Satan. There is no other weapon that's going to work other than the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God by faith. Operating. The very thing we've been talking about, the blood of Jesus Christ, taking the word of our testimony and the blood of the Lamb, Declaring what the word has done for us and what the blood has accomplished for us. Unbelief is a horrible sin. God doesn't want it in our lives. Jesus got more upset about that than many other things that we get upset about today. He even said to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, Neither do I condemn thee, go and sin no more. He said unto the disciples, You have little faith. I don't want you to rebuke me. I, I really want to operate by faith more and more every day. No know it's not going to happen if I don't hide more and more of His Word, in my heart and begin to operate by the Word more and more of Psalm 23. We've been talking about the sin of doubting. The sin of doubting. He said of all the things that Jesus confronted in his ministry, the one thing that seemed to stir him up the most was doubt on the part of those who were his followers. He got very upset with them when he found them doubting. And it's very common among saints. And I said that doubting was a hesitation on our part to believe God and his word. Doubting is when you and I hesitate to believe God and to believe his word. So it isn't just a case of denying it. It's just when we begin to doubt it. That becomes sin. God doesn't want us to do it. In fact, I think that he'd rather have us cuss than to doubt. I'm not suggesting that we cuss. I'm just simply saying we ought to put it in the same category as cussing something that Christians just ought never to do. And we said the things that saints tend to doubt was, first of all, what? Their salvation. We talked about that. Second thing was, we tend to doubt God's love and care because of the circumstances we find ourselves in many times. Now, by the way, let me just interject here. Many times, the things that we get into and wonder where God is, if we'll go back and check it out, somewhere along the line, we have broken or violated biblical principles And that's why we're in the mess we're in. Let me say it again. If you find yourself in financial straits that are very difficult to get out of, and you can't understand, dear God, why don't you help? Dear God, why don't you intercede? In most cases, if the Lord is just trying your faith, in many cases, if it's not the majority of the cases, if you'll go back, you'll find somewhere you violated a biblical principle. And when you violate a biblical principle, whatever you sow, it's a universal law, whatever you sow, you reap and so we have to go back and say, Lord, please, show me. Where did I violate the biblical principle? If we're in financial straits, have we quit blessing others or planting seeds? Or have we been robbing the Lord of his tithes and offerings? You know, I'll tell you, there are going to be a lot of people who are going to be stunned when they stand before the Lord when he says, you have robbed me of tithes and offerings. Well, Bill Gothard one time promised the Lord years ago that he would spend, I think it was five minutes or 30 minutes a day, some of you at the seminar, he keeps telling that story, that I think it was five minutes a day or maybe it was 30 minutes a day, every single day in the Word. And he got away from it and didn't do it for months at a time. And things started to fall apart on him. And he got down before the Lord and said, Lord, what's going on? And the Lord reminded him of that promise. And he sat down and he said, Lord, I will go back and restore all that time that I said I'd give to you. I'll restore it. And he said he stopped everything else and went back and began to read the Word of God and study the Word of God and make up all the past time that he had missed. And he said, out of that study came these seminars. And God turned everything around for him. But if there's an area that you're having difficulty in right now, you might go back and say, Lord, have I violated a biblical principle? If I have, please show me that biblical principle that I violated. You know, some people wonder, why can't I have joy? Why don't I have peace? Why aren't things working out the way they ought to? Why aren't men giving into my bosom? You've probably broken a biblical principle somewhere. And if you go back and get that taken care of, God will begin to pour open the doors and windows of heaven and pour out a blessing again on you. And like I say, I think it's a much greater blessing to give than it is to receive. And there have been many, many times I've received and received and received, and I've always said, Lord, let me have the greater blessing. Let me give, too. But many times when we think that God is not taking care of us with his love and care, it isn't that he isn't. It's that he can't, because we violated his principles. And God will not bless disobedience or dumb gone to seed. And you say, well, why would you say it that way? Because it's an open book test. All you have to do is read it for yourself. If you want to find out what God wants from you, read it. Once you find out what it says, do what it says. If you'll do what it says, he will bless. When we obey him, we can expect his blessings to come. So, when we doubt his love and care, I, I really encourage you to go back and say, Lord, if I missed a biblical principle? If I have, I will restore. I will come back and I will make it right, Lord. If you'll do it, God's blessing will begin to flow again. You know what some people tend to do? They made a promise to God and they'll say, well, God, if you'll just forget that, I'll go on from here. I would make sure I got a clear track on that before I did it. Because when you make a vow to God, it's better never to make one than to make it and to break it. So, the third thing I said was we begin to doubt God in the area of his promises to us. Again, his promises are to the obedient. If we're not obedient, there are no promises to us. Should I say that again? If we're disobedient to the Lord, there are no promises to us until we repent. Promises are to those who obey. What did God say to the children of Israel? If you will keep my commands and do all these things I tell you to do, then blessing, 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 blessing. But if you don't, then curse, 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 curse. Who makes the choice? Oh, God's cursing me. No, 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 no. We curse ourselves. How? Because we don't keep his laws and commandments. And remember when the priests in the temple found the old scroll of God's word and brought it back out and showed it to the king and he rolled it out and he began to weep before God. He said, no wonder all these things are coming on us. We have broken all of God's commandments. We've been disobeying the Lord. And he called for a fast and he called for repentance and if everybody get down to the sackcloth and ashes and God heard their prayer and God began to restore and bless them. But many saints doubt their salvation, God's love and care, God's promises. And the promises are peace. He's promised us peace, his peace. Now if we don't have it again, let's get back and find out why. Where have we violated the principle? Where are we failing to believe what God says? Second, joy. God wants us to have joy. That my joy might be in you. Have you seen some Christians that look like they could step on their lower lip or could eat oats out of a three-foot pipe? Ever seen that? You just need an inoculation from whatever they've got, that disease that they've got. You've got to mark it down. I've actually had people say, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I'm not interested. But that is not what it means to be a Christian, because he said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. God wants us to have joy. Now again, let me say, we cannot break God's commandments. We cannot disobey his word and have joy. In fact, I can't think of anything a more miserable creature on the face of the earth than a backslidden, disobedient Christian. They know what they're supposed to do, and they're not doing it, and they make excuses for why they're not doing it, and they know it doesn't count, because God says, Thou shalt love me first. Seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things be added unto you. Oh well, Lord, I'll get it all straightened up. When I get all my other things straightened up, he says, No, you've got the cart before the horse. You've got to turn it around, get it straight. And They say, God has just really followed me up and missed me. I mean, uh, he's got me in a mess. No, no, no. We get ourselves in a mess, and we have to go back and say, How can I straighten it up? No, can I Now, the one we wanted to get to tonight, very quickly, is found in Psalm 23. God promises guidance to his children. Guidance to his children. The Lord is my what? Shepherd I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff... That's discipline and support. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. In that order, discipline and men support. Thy rod and thy staff. First he disciplines us and then he supports us. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. If you don't think that's something, you get some enemy you've really been afraid of and have them stand right in front of you and you sit down and try to eat. If you don't know what they're going to do, they threaten to beat you up. I'll tell you, you lose your appetite quickly. He says, he prepares a table before us in the presence of his enemies. He anoints our head with oil and our cup runs over. I'm not going to get into all the details of this, but it was a tradition back in that day. Whenever you invited a guest in the house, today we say, hey, make yourself at home. There's the refrigerator. There's the anything you need. Go take a shower, bath. That's your room in there. Back in that day, if they wanted to make you welcome, you'd hold out your cup and they'd pour the drink in it. They'd let it run all over out on the floor because they didn't have rugs on the floor back in that day. They had hard floors or dirt floors and then let it run over. And in saying that, they'd say, you are just so welcome in our place. And he said, the Lord in his presence always pours my cup to overflow. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I'll dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, I want you to notice something here. Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. he leadeth me. I want you to get the picture here now. You see, when we're working with cattle in the United States, when people work with cattle, they drive cattle. You don't drive sheep, you lead sheep. A shepherd leads sheep. Now it's very, very important that you see this when we're talking about biblical guidance. People say, well, the Lord led me to do thus and such. And I look at him and say, no, he didn't. Oh, yes, I prayed about it and I just got this gooey feeling all over and I just felt these little bumps up and down my spine and everything. I said, it wasn't God at all. Oh, yes, it was. No, no, no. You see, God will never leads you in a place where he won't go. I've had people say to me, the Lord just showed me that... This other gal over here, she's going to divorce her husband, and, and and I'm going to divorce my wife, and God told us to get together, we'll be in the ministry together. How many of you know that's not the Lord leading? I use that as illustration because that comes to me the most. There's a lot of people that say, well, God told me to get a brand new car. The Lord led me to get a brand new car. Well, did you need a new car? Well, no, but I did. It's just it. Was it God that wanted us to get a brand new car, or was it pride that wanted us to get a brand new car? Well, the Lord just told me that I could have this very, very fancy place up in the mountains. Would the Lord tell you to do that? If He were to come tomorrow, would you feel glad that you did that rather than give the money to missions? You see, what I'm saying is, if he's leading anywhere we go, we should be able to say that I'm following the Lord. First of all, I insist on following the Lord. So if I feel like I want to go in this direction, I'll first of all say, Lord, is this contrary to your word? Now, see, some people would like to see a physical image in front of them and say, now, that's the Lord. I can follow him anywhere but you don't have to do this. He said, if you want to find out about, about me, search the Word, search the Scripture, because that's where I am. It reveals me. It tells all about me. The Holy Spirit has come to reveal and make Jesus real to you, and the more you know of the Word, the more you'll know of the will of God. The Spirit of God will teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever He has said unto you. Now, the first thing is, if you're walking where the Lord wants you to walk, you will be obeying and walking in biblical principles. The second thing is, you won't always like where you're going. He leads us. It's an interesting thing to me how few young men are ever led by the Spirit of God to go to the field. A lot of young ladies, but not very many young men. That's always been a concern to me. I've always wondered why that is. God always calls them to make a lot of money here at home. And I've always wondered, I wonder how many of them are following the Lord or following their own desires. But the other thing is, what if he does lead us through the valley of the shadow of death? Do we doubt him then and say, the devil is beating the daylight out of me right now? Or can we say, I'm going to trust in the Lord with all my heart and not lean to my own understanding. In all my ways, I'm going to acknowledge him and he will direct my path. You see, the sword cuts both ways. If we want to follow the Lord, first of all, We've got to keep our eyes on Him, find out what the Word of God has to say, walk in obedience to the Word of God. And in doing so, if we find ourselves to come into some very hard places, we've got to recognize that even in the midst of that, God has a purpose for us. Example, Chuck Colson. In a mighty position of power and strength in our government, all of a sudden found himself cast into prison. I mean, the worst possible thing that could ever happened to a person. But it was through that channel that Chuck Colson came to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And while he was there in prison, he could have begun to cry out and say, God, you failed me. God, where are you? you? You just don't know where I am. You haven't got my address anymore. But God used him there to begin to have an influence on the people in that prison. He came out of there today and has a mighty prison ministry. There have been people I've known of that have accepted the Lord in the past, of God, disobedient to the Lord, and ended up in prison. And the parents thought, well, that's the end of it. I mean, life sentence. But in prison, they found a real deep relationship with Jesus Christ and came out of that prison later on in their life and went out and had a powerful ministry for Jesus Christ. Now, it's like Joseph. Joseph had this vision that he was going to rule and reign, but he had to, first of all, get thrown in a pit. Then he had to get thrown into a prison before God could raise him up and put him in a position. And while he was in the pit and while he was in prison, he could have said, God has forsaken me totally. I've seen people go through some tremendously hard times and get discouraged and give up and say, well, God just isn't interested anymore. And they walk away and quit serving the Lord because it didn't work out the way they thought it should. But you see, when we come to Jesus Christ... Our words to him should be, you are God, you are our Lord, you are our master, you're my shepherd. I'll go anywhere or nowhere, I'll be anything or nothing, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll do nothing if that's what you want me to do. But I would just want to know what your will for my life is. And at any cost, I don't care what it costs, I will obey you. I will walk after you. I refuse to leave you. Now in the midst of that, then guidance can begin to come to us. Well, let me tell you something. These last three years of my life have not been fun years. But I know that I know that I know God has a purpose in all these things. I know that in the end, He is going to be glorified in it. Do I like the path that I've had to walk? It's not been an enjoyable path. But I'm not blaming God for it a bit. God, I'm not my own. You're the potter. I'm the clay. What do you want to do with this vessel? How can you use this vessel in a way that'll be most glorifying to you? In a hospital bed? Is that going to be glorified. Lord, whatever. On the mission field? Lake Mary? Anywhere. Lord, just let me know. Jeff had other ideas for his future too. Every Christmas and every birthday, Jeff requested books for his library, even after he lost his son. He's still believing that God's going to heal him. He said, Well, what if he doesn't? Doesn't make any difference. He'll still follow the Lord. But the question is not whether he has been healing. The question is, Lord, just keep me in the center of your will. I want to do your perfect bidding. I want to do your perfect bidding. I am your servant. Now you see, again, I say there are a lot of people that are willing to follow the Lord just as long as he scratches their ear and rubs their back and pads their pocket. That is not obedience. That's not submission. That's pandering God. And when it doesn't happen that way, many times we tend to turn around and say, "Well, it didn't work because I don't have any joy." Well, what brings you joy? Well, I wanted this and I wanted that, and wanted... then your source of joy is wrong because joy comes from the relationship you have with the Lord. Not that everything is going the way you want it to, but that you belong to Him. You know, the Scripture says nothing difference what we go through down here. I mean, there were saints of old that had been. Torn asunder, cut asunder, burned at the stake, tied between two horses, and jerked to pieces? But their confidence wasn't this, because the word of God says to them very clearly, the things that we experience here on this earth are not even worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed then. We have to be willing to die daily for Jesus Christ and say Lord just guide me just lead me just show me whatever you want me to do if you want this house back if you want my cars if you want my clothes if you want my wife if you want my husband if you want my children Lord none of it's mine it's all yours just lead me just show me see what it is now when we can operate that way it doesn't make any difference whether he leads us down prosperity's road or difficulties in finances we will absolutely refuse to violate biblical principles and believe that in the end, God will manifest and glorify us Because he's Lord. Well, that sounds good, Brother Webb, when, when things are going easy. Things haven't always gone easy for us. But I found out that's the only way to walk through the tough times. What if Joseph had laid down at the bottom of that pit and started cursing God? And his brothers threw him in. Boy, big deal, God. Thanks a lot. That's what I get for going out and telling what you said you were going to do for me. That's wonderful. I mean, now I'm an embarrassment. I mean, everybody's laughing. I'm with those brothers sitting up there at that campfire laughing that they threw me in the pit. This Big Mouth that told him he was going to rule over them. I mean, he could have done that. But he didn't say a word. He even allowed his brothers to sell him. And at the end of it all, he wasn't even bitter. He could have been bitter. He said, you, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I couldn't see the good in this moment, but that did not make any difference. In the end... He'll bring forth my righteousness as a light and he'll bring forth my judgment as the noonday, the word of God said. So I'll just obey him. I'll just let him do whatever. Can you imagine the feeling that Joseph had when he tried to do rightly? That he wasn't even doing wrongly. When Potiphar's wife came and grabbed him by the sleeve and said, come lay with me. Now if that had been typical preachers today, she probably would have been taken up on me. But Joseph says, I cannot do this before my God. And when she insisted, he let his coat go and fled. He says, for you are Potiphar's wife. And he fled. And then she lied about it. And he got thrown into prison without any cause whatsoever. Now I'm asking you, couldn't Joseph have gotten very disgusted and said, God, take it and stuff it. Just forget it. If this is what I get for serving you. You ever felt like that? You ever come down to that? Well, oh, I thought everything was going to go. I mean, I've confessed all these new cars. I've confessed all this money. And I've confessed all this prosperity. And now my heels are hanging out. And my elbows are hanging out. And my pants don't fit. And all this. Dear God, just forget it. That's not submission to the Lord. He's got to be absolute Lord of everything. And you know, until we come to that place, he'll, he'll allow us to be tested and tried to see if we really mean business. What did he say about the children of Israel? I took you out there in the wilderness for 40 years, and let you wander around, just to see if you would trust me. And you know something? I've known some Christians that have been wandering around just like that for years. They get their wooden leg in a knot hole, and around, and around, and around it. God says, you haven't learned yet, go on. You haven't learned yet, just keep on going. Yeah, God, God never treats me right. No, 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 dummy. Get your leg out of the wooden knot hole and begin to do what he says. Because his thoughts toward us are continually good. He wants to bless us. You want to know what God wants us to have? Look at the Garden of Eden. You want to know what God wants us to have? Look how heaven is described. The only thing that's contrary is what man has provided or the devil has defiled. This earth was beautiful. Look what men have done to it. God created it beautiful in the beginning. And God says, when you get through that down there, get through messing that up, I'm going to bring you up here and there won't be any of that messing up anymore forever in heaven. So in the meantime, learn to walk in obedience while I'm allowing you to be tested and tried to see if you really mean business, you're going to follow me. Again, I say, when we talk about guidance, I'm not talking about the Lord leading us into gold mines. I'm talking about us being willing to say, Lord, anywhere you want me to go. You're the shepherd. You know what kind of food I need. You know the rest I need. You know the supplies I need. You know everything. You see, the word of God calls him our shepherd, the good shepherd, and the chief shepherd, which tells us you couldn't have better leadership than Jesus Christ. Look at James, the first chapter, verses 5 through 8. And this is when we're not going in the way we think we ought to be going, would rather be going another way. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God. In other words, Lord, where have I missed it? Lord, why is it going in this direction? What are you trying to show me through this experience? Let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering. For he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive what? Underscore that. Let not that man think he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. You say, I haven't been getting from God what I want to get. Are you unstable in all your ways? Are you double-minded? What's double-minded? Well, you're more of a thermometer than you are a thermostat. You let the surrounding circumstances and environment and temperature regulate what you're going to be. If you're around non-Christians, you begin to float toward them. If you're around Christians, you try to butterfly toward them and you just wafer back and forth. One day you'll sit in church and say, amen, glory to God, Pastor, that's great. And the next time when something hits you during the week, oh, dear God, why even try? I mean, it's all, that's double-mindedness. You don't say what the circumstances are, you say what the Word of God says. And then you say, now, if there's any way, Father, that I am missing this truth and operating out of your Word and out of your will... Show me, I need wisdom in this thing. And then begin to search the scriptures for that particular thing, that subject. It's amazing to me when some people are walking in disobedience in the area of lust or in the area of of dishonesty or whatever it might be, they're over here reading about heaven. Forget about heaven. Find out how to walk on earth before you start worrying about how you're going to float to heaven. How can I operate by biblical principles here so that I can get to heaven and enjoy heaven? Guidance from the word of God. But he says if you come to him and doubt... And you waver back and forth. You believe and then you doubt. You don't believe. You aren't. You can't be. But then you say, oh, God, I'm believing you for this, but you aren't. He says, don't expect anything from me. Doubt activates Satan, but faith activates God. You want guidance when you ask for it. First of all, make sure you're operating by biblical principles. I can't emphasize that enough. Make sure you're operating by biblical principles. Well, Brother Webb, how can I do that? Find out what the word says about it. John, the 10th chapter, 1 through 5. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same as a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. I've heard people teach that that door is coming through physical birth. Satan did not come into this earth by physical birth. Jesus Christ did. He was born, and therefore he was able to claim title to the earth because he did not sin. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them out. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth what before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. Now, before I go on, let me just share something with you here again. If you're truly a Christian, you'll know when God's speaking to you. And when you read the word, many times he'll speak to you. And you'll know him because you're his sheep and he's your shepherd. The same thing applies on earth. God has placed within the body of Christ, apostle, prophet, pastor, teacher, evangelist, for the edifying of the saints, for the work of the ministry. And I keep telling these Christians, and they look at me with the blankest look. God says that we are to submit ourselves to those that have spiritual authority over us, as those that must answer for our souls. Hebrews thirteen seven says that there are shepherds on earth. Now, I want to tell you something, honestly. If you don't know who your shepherd is, you're pitiful. You've got to know, understand, and recognize, and receive and accept who your shepherd is. If not, you have no spiritual authority to give you guidance and direction in your daily walk. Or you say, well, I can read the Bible for myself. I understand that. But the book of Hebrews tells us very clearly that God calls and gives gifted men as gifts to the church. Called men called to a responsibility of the ministry. Let me tell you something. You don't know how many times I would to God that he didn't give that responsibility to men because to whom much is given, much is what? Required. Tremendous responsibility. But I've had people say to me, well, the pastor, the church I go to, the pastor is thus and such and his children are thus and such. And I say, well, let me ask you something. Then why are you following that shepherd? Well, there just isn't anybody around. I said, well, then have you cried out to your chief shepherd to bring one to you that will be the one that you're supposed to follow? Well, no. I said, you know, you're going to be held responsible for who you follow. You're supposed to submit. And it says that you should use their life as your pattern to walk. It says also, when you are committed and submitted to a body, and that's your shepherd, how many of you know that every time the sheep get fed, all the sheep go? Not cows all the time, but sheep. If sheep are there and they know food's coming, they'll all be there. How do you know the difference between a sheep and a goat? The ones that are there and the ones that aren't there. You say, Brother Wamp, are you calling people goats? Not at all. I'm just simply telling you there's a sheep nature and there's a goat nature. A sheep follows a shepherd. Now you say, well, I'm following Jesus Christ. Yes, and if we're following Jesus Christ, we're following Jesus Christ in accordance and in agreement with what the Word of God has to say. Word of God says, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is. All the more as you see that day approaching. You know, in the day that that was written, that the Christians were told that the law had been passed that any time they went to a Christian's home and they weren't there, they could go and ransack the home. And so everybody watched and said, there are Christians and they meet down there. When they go to church, we'll go and ransack their home. And the writer of the Hebrews says, that doesn't make any difference. Be there for that fellowship. You've got to have that fellowship. What difference does it make if they take everything away from you? Spiritual fellowship is more valuable than that. Do you know what would happen to a preacher today if he ever preached that? They'd skin him alive and car and feather and him, run him out of town. But that's what the Word says. Now I know it's spiritual to say the Lord is my shepherd and I'm following him. But if we don't follow him according to what the Word of God says, we're not following him. How many of you know that? You can't follow the Lord to say, I'm following the Lord and I'm going to go over here and steal my neighbor's car. That's it. huh. I'm following the Lord, but I'll just do what I want to when I want to. Huh? You're not following the Lord. And when we're asking God for guidance, the first thing to do is to look in his word. Verses 26 through 29 will quit. But ye believe not because ye are not of my sheep. As I said unto you, my sheep hear my voice. Now, by the way, that's in the present indicative in the Greek. My sheep hear my voice. That's present indicative, which means my sheep keep on hearing or are in the habit of hearing or listening to my voice. Isn't that interesting? They don't just hear it once in a while. They're in the habit of, and they continuously are listening. They are continuously listening and hearing my voice. And I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. But Jesus said, Don't doubt me in guidance. First of all, ye shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet, and a light unto my path. The entrance of thy word giveth light. If we want understanding and light, the law of the Lord is perfect what? What do we sing? Converting the soul. The law of the Lord is, what's the next phrase? What psalm is that? Psalm 19. Psalm 19, verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, steadfast, dependable, making wise the simple. Making wise the simple. Do you want to be wise? Get God's testimony down in your heart. It's his word. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them. By what? By the law, the testimony, the statutes, the commandments, the fear, the judgments. By them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Keep back thy servant also from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Then shall I be upright, and I shall be innocent from all the transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. God doesn't want us to doubt his guidance. He wants us to believe him. Even when it doesn't look like he's guiding us. And when it doesn't look like that, we've got to get down and say, Lord, I need your wisdom today. I give this whole day to you. Whatever happens, I'm asking you for wisdom and understanding. Let me see. I'll say only those things you'd have me to say. Do only those things you'd have me to do. And regardless of what I want to do, let me be obedient to what your word has already told me I ought to do as a Christian. And then I can begin to expect and believe that you're going to lead me day by day.